HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Meat and 3 is Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week on Meat and 3, we're bringing you highlights from Feast Portland, like our chat with the one and only Andrew Zimmern. I'm super excited to be here because for people who do what I do for a living, we do tons of you know, desk side chats and podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And you circle the handful of ones in a year where you get to talk with people that you're really excited about talking with. So this is this is awesome. We picked up on some recurring themes while talking to our impressive roster of guests, including the current state of Portland's food scene, personal identity, and believe it or not, the influence of great chefs' grandmothers. Mima never touched a drop of booze in her life and now has a distillery named after her. But I grew up in her garden and just really she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. So tune in for this week's extra special episode. Subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're continuing our exploration of retail business models, and I'm here in Berkeley, California, at the Cheese Board Collective, a long-standing, a 50-year-old worker-owned cooperative cheese business. I'm here with Omri Avraham and Lynn Nguyen, worker owners and self-proclaimed collectivists. Amri and and Lynn, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. And here's here's Amri. Really excited to be here. <laughs> Great. Okay, so I listeners, I wish I could paint this picture better than I'm going to even be able to because we've first of all we're sitting in a house, we're sitting in an apartment that has been repurposed to be the Cheeseboard Collective's offices, which is just like inherently homey. I mean, this is like a Berkeley house that we're sitting in right now with other collective folks around having their lunch break and doing their work. But downstairs from us, there is like magic happening. Um, so why don't we start with what is the cheese board? What are the components right now today? And then we'll go from there. 
Well, I guess I'll start off. So the cheese board is um, composed of two different sides of one collective business. Um, on one side is uh, the bakery and cheese shop, and then on the other side is um, the pizzeria. So we, although we run our businesses separately and make decisions um, separately in the different departments, we do come together um, when it comes to big, big decisions like, do we go forward with a remodel? Do we um, mm. expand the space? Mm. Do we hire, well, I guess when we hire, we hire separately, but um, if there's a big project that both sides need to think about, then we come together as one and usually every quarter we all get together and meet up and talk about how the business is going. Got it. Okay. So, so one sort of umbrella overall business, but really two entities that are pretty independent. Although in our little tour downstairs, we did see that there's some running back and forth and sharing of resources, which is yeah. pretty smart. And I, I wouldn't, I would be surprised to see it any other way. Yeah. Um, and so tell me a little bit about let's let's like dial it in you have a staff at each place right and and the whole exciting thing about this sort of series on the show for me is hearing about how 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 to think about retail differently how to think about a collective approach and a you know exploring this worker owned cooperative model so how does that model work here at the cheese board so there are committees that are responsible for certain aspects of the business. Um, they're the people that deal with insurance and payroll and taxes. And then there's um, a production committee that's responsible for coming up with new products and a cheese committee that does a lot of the cheese related events and um, purchasing. And so some of those committees actually have overlap uh, between both sides of the business. It's a way for us to integrate a little bit more. Hmm. Um, and when you say overlap, do you mean there's there are people, like the cheese committee, for example, I would assume since there's a lot of retail cheese, there's cheese there, but then also pizza, major ingredient. Um, so are there people from both sides on that committee? Is that what you mean? That committee is actually cheese people only, uh -huh. um, but some committees that have overlap uh, would be like the big picture committee that sort of looks at like the long-term vision of where the collective is going or effective meetings, which plans and figures out how to make our monthly and quarterly meetings um, as efficient as they could be. Oh my gosh. I, I, I almost just fainted. I mean, as a retail <laughs> operations person, the fact that you have a committee to make sure your meetings are efficient. I, I, listeners, I might never come back to New York City. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to have to build a studio for me in a closet here at the Cheese Board's house. In Berkeley, we have committees for everything. <laughs> All aspects of your life. I so. did not know this. Okay, so, so, so on these committees, first of all, how do you get on them? And can you change committees as a member? So to get on a committee, it really depends on the type of committee. So there are some committees that you can just be like, well, I'm interested in cheese. I'm just going to mosey on over to that meeting on Monday. Um, whereas there are other committees that are more HR-ish type committees, and you have to be elected. I see. So there's almost a, 
open committees where you can anybody can participate, and then there's more of a closed, although maybe that's the wrong word, but a, a tighter group for others. Right. Um, and I'd say that almost everyone um, serves on one committee of some sort, and it's usually... Uh, you serve on a committee that you have um, the skill set for mm-hmm. or a passion or an interest um, in. You don't necessarily have to have experience in it, um, but as long as you have some sort of interest, um, the committee will kind of take you on hmm. and train you and uh, give you that experience. Interesting. So um, how long do people stay on committees? Does it totally vary? Um, you know, what's that like? It really, it really varies. So, like, for me, I've been on, we call it the BTG, which is um, sort of our bookkeeping um, committee, and I've been on that committee for, like, five or six years, and effective meetings, Omri and I have been on it for maybe two, two, three years now, so mm-hmm. it really varies. Got it. Um, okay, so you've got these committees. Taking almost even a step back again... How, what happens when you join the staff here? And it's a, being a, a member, a worker owned cooperative, do you, does everybody put in an investment? How is that, um, like, how, how is that defined, that level of like you're a worker owner? So when you first get hired here, um, your first six months, you're a candidate. Um, it's a chance for you to see if this is the right fit. And it's also a chance for us to see if you're the right fit. Um, After those six months are up, um, like you're really supported throughout those six months because we want you to be here. That's why we hired you. Um, So once those six months are up, there's a membership vote. Um, And at that point you um, do pay in. It's sort of more of a symbolic amount at this point in time. Um, I think it used to be a long time ago, like actually a capital investment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you are a full member with all of the rights, privileges, and responsibilities that come with that. Wow. And so when you do that member vote, is it one member, one vote, totally equal? They're both nodding their heads at me. Yes. Yes. Okay. And what are those rights, privileges, and responsibilities? Um, My favorite privilege, I guess, is um, in the 80s, we as a collective bought a piece of land up in the middle of nowhere, Mendocino. And over the course of a year or two, on the weekends, everyone who worked at the cheese board would drive up together (laughs) and build a cabin. Come on. (laughs) And now over the years, we have like periodic work parties where there's going to be a bunch of us who go up there and just like fix the cabinets. Or like the last time I went, um, I who don't know what a hammer, like which end of the hammer to use to make the nail go in. Right, like if you remember listeners, Lynn here I think is on the book ki- bookkeeping committee and yeah. the uh, <laughs> meetings, the, the better meetings committee. So, yeah. okay, getting a picture here. Yeah. Not not the most handy of people, but, um, you know, I went up with my coworkers who have a lot of experience like building houses and using tools and stuff. And... Uh, they were like, this is a shovel, this is a nail gun, like, do this, don't 
hurt yourself. <laughs> and we built an outdoor shower in this like little ring of red groves. And yes, at first, if you used it, you, you did electrocute yourself a little, <laughs> but we fixed it. It's fixed. It's all good. No, no electrocution anymore. Um, and yeah, and you know, like it's it's been really great. Like we'll go up and kind of clear some of the underbrush and just kind of keep it in shape. And it's a it's a shared. Uh, privilege for all of us. Right, it's like a shared getaway yeah. spot. Yeah, and um, it's really, it's actually pretty close to Penny Royal Farms, so, mm -hmm. you know, whenever people go up, they always visit and check out how, like, Sarah and Star are doing up there, mm -hmm. um, and it's, to me, it's, it's just such a lovely thing that it, this goes beyond just running a business together. This is like we want a vacation together. We want to build a house together. And, um, Omri isn't so sure about vacationing together all the time. <laughs> Not all the time, but I think every once in yeah. a while it's, you know, rather than like go on a retreat where you have to sit and I don't know, like, play stupid right or games, like, uh, like escape the room for right. the whole evening yeah. like why not build an outdoor shower together amazing um what about i mean i don't even know where to go from there i'm like so wowed <laughs> I mean, this takes like like benefits package to a whole different level um but what are what are some of those other rights and privileges and responsibilities that sounded like very defined any other or any other favorites or any others that are sort of uh, might be surprising or unusual? More unusual than more unusual. Yeah, yeah I mean that's pretty unusual. But I mean, we do have like a, a benefits package. Like um, it, we have uh, health care and paid time off and um, like disability and diaper um, service. Diaper service. Diaper service. Yes. What What does that even mean? Like, if, you can do cloth diapers, and, and the yep. cheese board will okay. pay? Mm -hmm. If you have a baby. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to keep saying that <laughs> through this whole interview. Sorry, listeners. I'm My professional <laughs> approach is just out the window. Uh, what else do we have that's really quirky? I, it's so hard because now I'm just, like... You guys are in I'm it. so used yeah. to it. It's all normal. Like Nothing, nothing quirky about Oh, I know what this. else. Oh. Um, we have so much vacation time we so do. i think like americans have like two weeks of if that vacation. even i mean americans in vacation it's is the saddest thing yeah. ever okay so if two weeks vacation is is standard for sad overworked ridiculous america what do you get here at the cheese well board? i mean even beyond like normal americans in food in our industry mm. it's it's just unheard of yeah unheard of it's terrible like if you take a vacation, you might as well just quit <laughs> at some places, right? Yeah, I think when my husband was uh, in his early working days, he would just say, make enough money to be able to go on vacation and then quit a job and then go on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Like, unfortunately, that's sort of a reality for a lot of people. So here at the Cheese Board, if you are working 40 hours a week, like a normal person, mm -hmm. um, I think I did the math one year, you get like five and a half weeks of vacation, paid time off. Oh my gosh. And we actually close for a full week in August and a full week in January. Amazing! To force ourselves to go on vacation. Yeah, because there is something also about knowing that the business 
like the the you know every I, I we have a lot of listeners who are cheesemakers and who are retailers and everybody knows that feeling of like even when you're away if the if the business is still going there is some element of your being that can't really relax right so that's huge um wow okay that I, it's just I, I'm overwhelmed. There's but, more. Oh, there's more. There's more. Let's hear it. <laughs> so beyond the paid time off of if you work forty hours a week, you get five and a half weeks roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, you can also ask for additional unpaid time off, and like pretty much ten times out of ten, people are really supportive mm. of that. So right now we actually have a coworker who's on a year-long leave, um, and you know when she comes back, like she knows she's going to still have a position here at the Cheese Board, still be part of our family, our community of um, people, wow. and there's there's something really great about that. There's something to be said about that that you know we allow people to go away yeah um, live their lives explore other interests yeah. or pursuits or whatever it's like a, an extended sabbatical that yep. you know you only hear of that with academics at the end of their career or if you're like high up in some corporate you know behemoth um, is this the result of the collective approach I mean it these these are really different um, Practices than what you would find in sort of a you know a quote unquote normal business operation. Are these policies you know things that you guys decide as a group? You know we want to you know how I guess I'm getting at this question of like how often do you decide as a group we want to do something different and so let's just do it. How often does that happen? Well, so like these policies specifically have all like been in place since I joined about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but the culture of Cheeseboard when it was founded was sort of based on um, an idea that you have work and in addition to work, you also have like your own time and that both of those should be able like to balance each other mm. out. So unheard of in the food industry especially, right? Um, so it is a lot of work when you're here and you do take that work home with you and at the same time you can go away for five and a half weeks. (laughs) Really amazing. Um, wow. And to, to just touch on the roots of the cheese board too, since you mentioned that I, I find it, the history so inspiring and unusual in that it was not, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't originally uh, a worker-owned mm-hmm. cooperative, and the unusual thing to me is that it was, you know, sort of regular ownership model. But a few years in, tell me it, if I'm right, yeah. the owners decided to basically sell to all of the workers and create the cooperative, and the owners stayed involved. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the business started in 1967, and it was collectivized in 1971. Um, and it's been a collective ever since. Uh, at the time it was collectivized, it was the two owners and six employees. So they sold the business to the six employees, but like retaining their own shares. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I don't think California recognized cooperatives as like incorporated businesses. So it took a yeah. little while to like 
legally have that. Right. Um, but it was more about the philosophy of being a cooperative and sharing yeah. all the things. So the kind of like the background behind why we were collectivized was um, the original owners were uh, husband and wife, Elizabeth and Sahag, and they spent some time on a kibbutz in Israel, and they also spent some time in Europe. And when they came back to the United States, um, they noticed that there wasn't cheese, hmm. and they noticed that the traditional business model of like boss makes all the money mm -hmm. employees do so so much work employees suffer employees suffer <laughs> um, yeah but, like the trickle down effect right. is not something that was you know like really jived with what they had experienced um, abroad and what they thought was the, the right thing to do mm. um, so from that uh, they decided, like, it was just natural for them to hmm. collectivize. So it was really in line with their values as they sort of saw these things modeled in other parts of the world. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think for us, like, part of the cheese board culture is when we um, join the collective, um, and so when I first joined the collective, it was, it was, like, kind of, like, taught to me that, you know, this... Elizabeth and Sahag like gave us this gift, mm. this gift of being able to like have a part, like be a part of a community mm -hmm. and be an owner and mm. like have this thing that you take care of and grow. And it's the biggest gift that like, you know, anyone oh my gosh. Like, can give like these days. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. I'm like tearing up. So this is a perfect moment um, for us to hop out for a quick break here. Um, tissues? I'm going to find some tissues. Okay. We'll be back in a bit for more from the lovable Cheeseboard Collective in Berkeley, California. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise and affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Surchois was named World Champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. If you're just tuning in, this is Elena Santigade, and I'm here in Berkeley, California, chatting with Omri Avraham and Lynn Wynn, worker owners at the Cheeseboard Collective, and I, it's just been the most inspiring conversation so far. It's, it's a really positive place, guys. This is like the happiest, cryingest show that, I, that I've had yet. Um, okay, so we, we talked a little bit about, in the first segment, about how the, the business is sort of organized and how, um, you know, the roots of the business. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on right now. 
um, because there were some, so before we taped the show, we did a quick tour downstairs and I was really excited by some of the components happening here. And we described how there's a, a cheese shop with a bakery and then also a, the, the pizza spot. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit about the, the fun factor here is pretty high. Tell me about how the pizza, so the pizza part of the business is new is newer, correct? Newer, but newer, it's been but, around since 1985. Ah, since 1985. So, <laughs> so about, about 15 years younger than the in, entire 50-year-old business. So, okay, both been around a long time. In the pizza spot, you informed me that there is live music every day. Mm-hmm. Two Correct. bands, two live bands every day. Um, every, two live bands every day, and every day they is different. and they're different bands every day. So tell me how how does this work? How do you find the bands? Who is there a committee for this? There is a committee for this. <laughs> yes. How did you know? <laughs> um, there's there's a committee, and I think there's two or three people on it. Um, are there they musicians or just music lovers on that committee? I think both. they're both musicians. Hmm. Yeah, and music lovers. Hmm. Um, and I think there's a really long wait list for people who want to be uh, playing at the cheese board. Mm-hmm. But they're generally like kind of folksy or, I don't know, jazzy bands, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, but we pay them the same wage that we get paid per hour. So that's one of the things that we um, really, really care about is equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and fairness and so it doesn't matter if you are a candidate it doesn't matter if you're like a you know every year we hire like uh, an intern from like our local high school to Mm -hmm. kind of just give them job experience Mm. and they also get paid our same hourly wage wow um and does everyone make the same hourly wage yes they're nodding their heads yes it doesn't matter you could you could have been here since day one and you would still be making the same wage as someone who just started wow and so how does that work in terms of raises in terms of Mm -hmm. uh i guess that's my main question is how do you decide when to change the wage does that happen often or do you yeah what's the process like there so it doesn't happen all too often but essentially someone proposes it at a quarterly meeting and there's a lot of talking back and forth about it um, and then we take it to a vote if we want to give ourselves a raise that's what happens wow member owner you give yourselves a raise and i assume that as you're having that discussion as you're doing that vote you're also looking at the books because you're the owner's making the decision so you're sort of looking at the you know whether or not the business can support that we can also give ourselves a pay cut if we need to do that for one oh. reason or another. Has that ever happened? Yes. It happened just once, yes. to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to expand, and so in order to make that happen, everyone took a pay cut. Hmm. Wow, pretty amazing. What year. So, um, wow. Um, I, I keep being like at, at a lot. I want to like sit with a thought for a minute. <laughs> I'm like so interested in this. It's uh, it's really interesting. And so now now the first thought that might come to mind if you're somebody who's used to a more uh, traditional business model is like, well, then how could people possibly stay? But 
you know, because a lot of people stay at jobs and expect to have these like regular yearly raises that, that align with the quality, uh, the cost of living, you know, increase or whatever. But as we were walking around downstairs and I'm hearing about people who've worked here, I mean, you guys even have, uh, Lynn, you've been here for seven years mm-hmm. and Omri four years. And there's uh, an amazing sounding man named Gary who has worked here for <laughs> 30 something. God, 40 something. 40 years. something years. There was a man standing on top of the proofer walk in when we were downstairs who said he was here for 36 years. So, so the, you know, if, if wages don't increase that often, it doesn't seem to be an issue. It, yeah, longevity is kind of the name of the game here at the cheese board. Mm-hmm. And people, the joke used to be you don't retire from cheese board, you just die. <laughs> you just die. <laughs> Up and die. Um, yeah, when I interviewed at cheese board, some, I, you know, I, I went to Berkeley, so I would come here a lot, mm-hmm. like every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, and I really loved it. And when I got an opportunity to interview here, I think one of the questions was like, so how long are you planning on working here? We're looking for like a long-term commitment. And I think I said something, just blabbed it. I was like, I'm just planning on dying here. <laughs> and then I thought about it. I was like, okay, coming on a little too strong, but it's a little bit creepy. But creepy is, that kind of creepy is just the flavor that Cheeseboard is looking for. So, I love that. For all potential applicants. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit creepy is okay. Yeah. I think also at other jobs where you can get promoted, um, you know, that's like someone else giving you a new job and telling you what to do. Mm. Here you can come up with a project or a new idea and you're able to sort of take that and if the group likes your idea, you can make it happen. You really have your own agency mm-hmm. in a way that's yeah. very unique. Um, and I imagine there's actually another side of it too, where, especially if you're here in the long term, there might be periods of time where people just do what they do and kind of continue doing that. And there's something to that too, especially if you have a rich outside life. Yeah. I mean, like for me and Omri, we kind of grew this other part of the cheese business that wasn't like a part of our core business. Um, Tell me more. We So just now we do like cheese platters, special events. We do collaborations with local breweries, distilleries. Mm. There's all these other things that we didn't used to do. But, mm. you know, if you're interested and you want to take the initiative, the cheese board has space for creativity. It has space for people to go beyond just, you know, selling cheese and bread and pizza. The cookbook um, is another example of this. Um, to when, when did the cookbook come out? Ooh, I think the cookbook. It, the cookbook yeah. is called the Cheeseboard Collective Works, which is a great title, and I think this show is proving that in a different. You know, there's a few variations on, on what those words can mean, but I love the, I love the title. So when did it come out? Nineties? Yeah, the nineties maybe. I think so. The cheese. The cookbook is something that is a really good illustration of how this is a really great place to work even though you're not making like 50 million Mm dollars a year um it started the cookbook project started because like one of our co-workers was injured and so Hmm. 
she wasn't able to do some of the production work. And, but, you know, she had an interest in all these other things, writing. Um, and so she and one of um, our coworkers took a year off, mm. paid to work on this cookbook together. So basically that was just one of these ideas that they had an idea for yeah. this project and they pitched it to the rest of the worker owners and it sounded like the vote was yes. Yeah, and you know, at this time, like the collective was much, much smaller. So to have two people be taken off of like normal staffing, it's kind of a big deal. And to pay them like... Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, so I think that's like one of the reasons why people stay mm -hmm. for so long. It's you can do all these other things. Yeah, it's a really rich environment. Um, tell me about Gary. Who's Gary? And what is he doing in the basement? Um, okay, well, Gary is uh, one of our, is he our oldest member who's still longest he's, serving, longest yeah. running member owner? Yeah, he's either in first or second place between either Gary or Michael, who are like the longest standing members. And he's our resident in-house blacksmith, jack of all trades, fix everything. <laughs> musician. Um, musician. Ah. Um, so he has downstairs in one of our garages a little shop, um, and he's a blacksmith. And so when you're on your break, sometimes you'll hear all these noises coming from downstairs and you know it's Gary working on something. If something breaks, you just give it to Gary. <laughs> something has to be fixed. Do not throw it away because Gary will take it out of the trash in order to <laughs> fix it. Yeah, sometimes he's actually, I bike to work and then I see his head popping out of the dumpster, our giant dumpster, and it's not weird. No. It's not weird. And I love when we were walking through the store downstairs, you were showing me all of these tools, these like bespoke custom tools that Gary had made. Lynn, you know, is not the tallest person in the shop. And sure. so there might yeah. be, there's, there's a special hook that you said he made for you. Yep. He made me a special hook so that I can reach all of our little buckets that are way up high. And there's another, uh, there was another worker owner who pointed out to me, that she, who quickly announced her favorite tool was the staff that can, that's like per perfectly designed to lift large plastic bins from a high shelf downstairs. So pretty cool. And, and the studio that's his blacksmith shop was originally a, just a garage? Yeah, or a, like a yeah. one car garage. Mm -hmm. And then the, the business just decided to... We're going to rent that, too, and turn it into a, a blacksmith <laughs> shop with an anvil and all the Oh, my stuff. gosh. Oh, gosh. So fun. So we haven't even gotten around to the cheese part of, of all of this much, and we only have a few minutes left. But let's talk real quick. One thing I was... there, I, I was really struck by, first of all, the quality of your cheese selection, and the, and the cheese was in amazing shape. The number of cheeses is quite large. You've got, how many cheeses are there downstairs? Probably around, around 300 during the holidays. That selection gets closer to 400. And I noticed that there's like very little branding anywhere. And contrary to what's very popular, at least on the East Coast, there's not a million cheese signs in your case. Instead, you have this like epic list on a chalkboard on the wall, which I was like, <gasps> 
how often does that chalkboard get updated? <laughs> Who updates it? Um, but it looks Never. very well written. <laughs> yeah, so that chalkboard, I've been here for seven years, and when I joined, it had not been updated for many, many years. So ah, the woes of a retail chalkboard. It's like a vintage artifact now as opposed to an actual up-to-date list of all the cheeses that we have. Oh Although God. sometimes as a buyer, I will just stand and stare at the board and be like, oh yeah, I haven't ordered that in a while. Yeah, it's actually kind of a nice reminder of like what what is the it's like a portrait of a of a selection mm -hmm. right and you i could see that as a buyer like just checking in there every now and then like remember when that was available for us to buy <laughs> oh right like yeah. cheeses that are at the fda has decided yeah. no more <laughs> maybe they could get a little star on the chalkboard over time <laughs> wow so who so lynn you're you're one of the cheese buyers omri too mm -hmm. you're both part of that mm -hmm. committee Yes. Um, and how do you decide what to bring in? Well, if it's yummy, then it's coming in. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much it for me. Um, Omri, you're, you're guiding. I guess I put a little more thought into that. <laughs> Um, I mean, I guess like any other shop, there's cheeses that we have to have, and if they are not on our shelves... Um, You'll hear about it. We will definitely hear about it, although every now and again, as like a challenge to people, I sort of make it disappear for a week, so that... Mm, um, I like that, a little forced education. Yeah, and I'll bring something else in and say, you know, try selling this instead of that, and see how you like that, and what you learn from this experience. Um, and then... Aside from the cheeses that we always have, there's a lot of wiggle room to bring things in that are, I guess for me what I look like is things that are interesting and unique and doing something a little different than the mainstream. Mm. Um, oh, that's a good guiding principle right there. So uh, for each of you, what's the cheese you're most excited about in the case right now? I'll give you a moment to think. Oh, Lindsay. Oh, you didn't even need a moment. Okay, let's hear it. So for me, it's this cheese called Petit Catanaz, and um, it's really hard to get, apparently. And every time it comes in, it, it comes in weird in a different way. Um, but it's a, it's a little raw milk, uh, small format goat. Uh, and I love it because it tastes a bit feral, mm. um, really different from all of the other goat cheeses that we have. Different from a lot of, like, you know, even, like, the larger format, firmer cheeses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, I feel like there are a lot of small format goats that kind of, they're like, oh, yeah, they're, they're different, but they're not that different from one another. Right, they have, like, subtle, nuanced differences. Sure, yeah. This, this is, like, different world. This is, like, like, a smack in the face with a goat. Is it what type of rind is it? It's a it's it kind of has a natural rind mm -hmm. and sometimes it comes in with like a lot of bloomy mm -hmm. white spots on it. Sometimes it comes in kind of you know like a little bit wrinkly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it comes in hard. Sometimes it comes in soft. <laughs> there is no rhyme or reason to this cheese, and I love it. Yeah, I can see why you'd like it. Tell us the name again. Petite Catanaz. Petite Catanaz. Very neat. I'll put that in the show notes, folks, so you can do some research. And Omri, what about yours? So on Mondays, I cut a lot of wheels of things to sort of get ready for the week. 
and yesterday I cut open a wheel of Reverie from Parish Hill in oh, Vermont. One of our East Coast cheeses. And it's just the flavor and the texture since yesterday when I tasted it have just been like on my mind and sort of on my tongue. Um, I love what Parish Hill is also doing with their starter cultures mm. and just all the things, their cheeses and their rinds. Um, so I've sort of been, I took a big piece home yesterday. <laughs> You're communing with that cheese. Yeah. Well, oh, oh man, this, this could be a double episode, but listeners, we've got to cut it off at this point. We've gone a little over time, but Omri and Lynn, thank you so much for joining me on air today. Thank you so much. Come back anytime. Thank you for having us. Oh, wow. I'm going to go downstairs and have some pizza and walk around dreamily here. Listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll have more from the cheese world next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.